So, just to start with, a few um, stats from a book called The Day America Told the Truth by James Patterson and Peter Kim. Crazy things that Americans were asked, what are you willing to do for $10 million? 25% said that they would abandon their family. 23% said that they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% said that they would give up their American citizenship. 16% said that they would leave their, their spouses, their husbands or wives. 10% said that they would withhold their testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% um, said that they would kill a stranger. And 3% said that they would put their children up for adoption. So quite a crazy start to today, right? What lies within? What's in the heart? What is deep within us. And so that's where we're going to be looking at today. I'm just going to pray and we're going to crack straight into this. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. God, Lord, I thank you for this message that although it's challenging, God, although it's tough, although it calls us into a bigger life, God, Lord, I thank you, God, that you hold us, Lord that you are King of Kings, that you are Lord of Lords, Lord, that you have paid the ultimate price for us so that, Lord, in you we can be reconnected with you. We can be reconnected with you, the God who made us. And, Lord, I pray that we leave here today with a bigger picture of you, God, and a bigger picture of who you're calling your church to be. In your name, amen. So there's a little subtitle to what lies within. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm just going to give um, a little su summary first, then I'm going to re read, um, re read this scripture. The, it's a summary of the story. So what we're doing is we're going to ca be carrying on from where we left off. So we left off at Acts um, 40, sorry, Acts, there's not an Acts 40, Acts 4, um, Acts 4, 31 last week. We're going in at Acts 4, 32, okay? And it says, and we'll, it says this. And we're going to be going through to, through to Acts 5.11. Okay. Um, and the story is about everybody sharing. Okay. So it's this beautiful picture of church and everybody's coming into the church and they're, they're selling land, they're selling property. And as anybody in the church has need, they're bringing, they're bringing money, bringing gifts and selling property and, and bringing that, giving it to the apostles, trusting their leadership to distribute, distribute this to anybody who's needy amongst their, their number. And as an example in the text, they give an example of this guy Barnabas and he sells this plot of land and he brings the money lays at the apostles' feet, and it's just this amazing act of generosity, just so kind of like, man, that, that's, that's incredible. And But then kind of juxtaposed to that, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've got Ananias and Sapphira, and that's the beginning of Acts 5. This couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they have a, they have a property that they sell this property, and they decide they're going to keep back some of the money and go and give the rest of the money to the apostles. And, um, but what they do is, uh, they don't bring that out in the light of day, they pretend that really what they're giving is how much they've sold it for. It's like they sell it for 120,000 and, or, you know, 1.2 million, but they give a million and they just say, um, you know, that's how much we sold the property for. And the Holy Spirit on um, Peter just so is aware that they're lying and he challenges them and says, 
why why is like is this the truth why why are you lying because you're not lying to men you're lying to god and as he says that ananias drops down dead guys bury ananias and come back um but whilst they're out burying him sapphira comes looking for ananias and knocks on the door and peter asks her he says did you did you um sell the property for this much and she says yes yes we did um and he said why have you conspired together to uh the words like challenge um the the lord we'll see it when we actually read the text in a minute and in that moment she drops down dead and the guys take her away and bury her and then because of what's happened there just this great fear it says in two places great kind of fear and in the bible when we hear fear comes on the people it's like this great reverence of god it's not like a terror in a sense of like a horror movie but it's this great wow like fearing god this great reverence for how awesome and holy god is so today the good the bad and the ugly if you don't know or actually the good the bad and the seemingly ugly um if you guys don't know it's actually a very famous western film so you can imagine all our characters today dressed up in western attire we've got peter the sheriff ananias the mexican the sombrero um that's not biblical you can ignore that so um i'm going to go into this passage just that this actually is a summary okay of, of the passage and it says some part of it's cut out but it says and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him that to him was his own but all things were common property to them for there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles feet and they would be distributed as any had need you see what's happened with these guys is they've experienced the grace of god They've experienced the gospel and something's happened where it has completely transformed their lives. It's like generosity is the fruit, but grace is the root. And look at this. It says the gospel isn't a door that you once walked through. Sometimes we feel that, right? That, okay, well, we kind of believe this three steps to salvation. We did that course and we're done, you know, we're good. Um, but actually the gospel isn't a door you once walked through. It's a room that you now live in, that we live in the gospel. Um, so before we really get stuck into this passage, what I want to do is lay some foundations for you guys to better understand what it is that's going on here, better understand the, the foundational roots of this kind of awesome generosity, you know, which is the fruit of experiencing the grace of God. So I, what I want you to see here is that this isn't something that they've just kind of randomly got taken over and sold everything and, and so they're just almost like possessed by God and doing crazy financial things. It's, um, it's actually not just something that comes in the New Testament, but rather it's a fuller realization of something we see in the Old Testament. It's like a completion, a, a beautiful picture of what was given in the Old Testament. So let's go into this foundation. Uh, if you look at Matthew 22, 36 to 40, it says this, it says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. So they're, they're speaking to Jesus. And he says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Now, it's easy to to be thinking, we've heard this so many times, right? Jesus says it. It's easy to think this is a New Testament thing. But actually, if you look at it, they ask, which is the greatest commandment? They're referring to the law. And right at the end of that section, Jesus says, um, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. It's talking about everything said through, like throughout the whole of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, right, right through, written by Moses, right through all the prophets. It all depends on these two laws. So Jesus here is referencing law. He's referencing, hey, he's referencing the Old Testament. Let's look at a couple of verses. Firstly, Deuteronomy 6.5, and then we'll look at Leviticus 19. 18b. So Deuteronomy 6.5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Sounds very familiar, right? This is Jesus quoting this stuff. Leviticus 19.18b says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So the two great commandments that we have is like, these are pillars of the New Testament, things that Christ spoke. They are Old Testament laws. And so it's important for us to get that, that it isn't just something random that Jesus decided to make up on the spot there. This is something coming out of the beautiful and perfect law of God. And sometimes, you guys may have experienced this, you, you guys may suddenly just be realizing this, that there can be times that, and I've done it, but in our desire to communicate grace, we can often make law the enemy, right? The Old Testament stuff, the enemy. But the law itself is still good and pure and perfect. The thing is, we just can't be saved by it. And if we try and live by it, we will die. You know, the, the, um, Paul writes about the law as it's, it, it, that it leads to death. But it's still perfect. See, we can't be saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. We're not saved by the law. We, there's no way we can fulfill the law and follow every single step and complete it all and be perfect like Christ has, because Christ has fulfilled the law. But we are saved for the law. Now, to understand this, so that's a bit of a, a, bit of a foundation, but to specify the, the foundation, now we're going to look at Leviticus 25, 23, and then Deuteronomy 15, 4. So I think these are on separate slides. Um, so you have to sow this. It says, the land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. This is God speaking. For you are but aliens and tenants with me. So hold that, hold that thought for a moment. So you see God's giving a kind of economic law there for not selling stuff, or rather for selling something, but for it not to be sold forever. Deuteronomy 15:14 on the next slide says, however, there will be no poor among you. Since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an, inherit as an inheritance to possess. All the land that was sold, the kind of culture there was if you sold your land, it wasn't like we sell it today, i.e. they own it forever. It's not freehold, it's more like leasehold. And you guys may remember the 50-year jubilee. One of the things of 50-year jubilee is the land gets returned to its rightful family, to its rightful owners. So it's more like this leasing of the land. And 
the, the practice there, the practice within the law we see, is to stop one family becoming economically dominant over other families. And then you end up with this kind of feudal mentality, this clan mentality. Also, it reminded people that everything, the land, property, ultimately, in the end, belongs to God. That we are just tenants here on the earth. That all our stuff that we have is from him. That we're stewards here on the earth. And so it's actually when we begin, and that's just a little foundation, a bit of a scraping the surface, but it is a beautiful glimpse at this economic policy within the Bible, within the law, to prevent multi-generational poverty. It's, it's unacceptable, according to the law, for there to be need amongst the people of God, for there to be that poverty there. That, that found, you see, when we, when we look at this, that the foundation that that gives is where we need to read this passage in Acts from. So these guys, though, they're not living under law, are they? They've, they've met with Jesus. They've met with, the, they've met with the risen Christ and they've come to him and they're now in him. So they're not living under law. They've been completely set free from living under law. They're living in the resurrection, but they are living in the fulfillment of the law. And as they live, you know, as, as these guys live and they love God and they love Jesus and they love one another, they fulfill and they complete the law itself. They, they, they are living out the law. So the experience of the resurrection life, the experience of the resurrection community should be way more awesome, way more powerful, far, far more beautiful than that that we see under law. So if the community under the law was supposed to see no need amongst the people, no poverty amongst the people of God, what would the community of the resurrection look like? A great American theologian, Peter Wagner, in his book, um, Acts of the Holy Spirit, he said this, he said, as I understand God's kingdom economy, nothing is wrong with having rich people in the church, but something is wrong with having poor people in the church. And what, what he's meaning there is not saying like, if you're poor, you can't come to church, but actually that there should be no need within the church itself. And so with that foundation in mind, let's get back to that verse and actually read the full thing this time. And with that foundation of loving God, loving people, the, the law being fulfilled in their lives, this resurrection community. Let's read this. And the congregation, that's this community, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, 
a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and bought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So these guys now, they're loving God. They're loving people. And what's the result? The result of that is they're keeping the law, not in order for, to be saved, not trying to do all this stuff for selfish means. I'm going to give and do all this stuff selfishly because I want to be saved. But because they have been saved. See, it's from the cross that the life, our lives completely transform, our motivations completely transform, what lies within completely changes. So their love for others and for them to have enough is more powerful than the fear that they won't have enough. The fear that maybe actually we'll go broke this month, so I'm not going to give at the beginning of the month. And they freely share. Now, there's a very formidable Christian thinker. Some of you guys may have heard of John Piper. He said this. He says, our faith in Christ creates a bond of love to people and cuts the bond of love to things. Our faith in Christ creates a bond of love to people and cuts the bond of love to things. So this community, they were so impacted by what Jesus had done. Nothing else had authority to rule in their lives. Christ was on the throne of their lives. The, and then we get this little example there right at the end of that section we just read of Barnabas where he sells this piece of land and you know, even, I don't know exactly their culture at that time, whether it's still running and he would get it back in 50 years time, but he wasn't going to get any benefit from that. You know, that it's, he's giving up so much, it's no small thing. And he sells this land to provide for the needs of others. It's desperately challenging. I find it challenging. It's desperately challenging for us today, especially in the kind of capitalist culture that we live in, the norms that we accept. But this same Barnabas, he goes on to be one of the great apostles of the early church. This Barnabas here is Barnabas, the apostle who was sent out with Paul from Antioch and who went on to change much of the known world at the time. See, Barnabas had been so captured and captivated by the gospel that what, la, la, sorry, that what lies within him exalts Christ. What lies within him at that time praised Christ. And so the challenge for us today is meditate on the truth of the gospel and let its truth impact our lives in deeper, more awesome ways. So that's the good. Now we come to the bad. <laughs> that's, the, that's the theme tree. Um, that's the bad. Sorry. Ananias and Sapphira. This is Acts 5, 1 to 4. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? 
and after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So what's going on here? Well, it's the beginning of the next chapter. Just as a point, when you read the Bible, um, the kind of verses, the the chapter numbers and the verses, they're not meant to be punctuation for the Bible because punctuation impacts meaning. The verses and the, they're they're actually just kind of, uh, they were added in the 16th century and are used to navigate the Bible, but never let them punctuate the Bible. So you've always got to look past. Sometimes they're quite good at separating the chapters and it's complete, it is separate, but actually within a book, um, they're written as one whole thing. You know, imagine in the, the, the traditional Jewish way, it's just all on one long scroll, isn't it? So um, I encourage you guys, be, be aware of that when you're reading the Bible. Don't get to the end of four and then just say, okay, well, that's the end of that. And then five, we pick up because actually you'll see as we go through, we're having to jump kind of crossover chapters and things. So what's going on? Well, like Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira, they've sold a property But what they've done is they've kept this portion of money back for themselves whilst really letting people believe that they've given everything that they've received. See, these guys, they're really seeking applause from people. They want to appear like Barnabas. They want to appear really godly. Get the pat on the back. Well done, well done. Oh, yes, well done, brother, you know. Do you see that there is something in their lives other than Jesus which is on the throne? They, they have believed a lie. They've believed probably a number of lies, but they've believed the lie that Jesus isn't enough. They've believed the lie that they need to grow in status in the midst of the people. See, their hunger after man's kind of affections rather than God. There's this truth that secret sin on the earth is open scandal in heaven. You can do stuff that there's no way that other people are going to notice. They could probably got away with it. But you can't hide it from God. Still, Satan always tries to mess things up. And even from last week when we were looking at Acts 4, right at the beginning of the early church. That's exactly what Satan's trying to do. Acts 4 was persecution and threats. Remember last week, the, the, um, the elders, they're threatening, they're threatening the um, Peter and John not to preach about Jesus. This week, Acts 5, it's deception within the house, deception within the church. And then in Acts 6, it's distraction and various distractions coming in, distracting the apostles from their, their ministry. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, it speaks about seven churches and um, it says about different dangers that are inside these churches. Well, five of the churches, the danger in the church or the danger for the church is inside the church, not outside the church. So let's look at these few verses again. It says Acts 5, 4 says, Peter's saying, to Ananias, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? See, this isn't kind of classic communism where every, no one really has anything of their own and it's all pulled together and it's this common ownership. 
It's not that. You see later on in, in the Bible, um, Mark, or later on in Acts, rather, you see Mark's mum, uh, she has her own house. Like, it's, it's fine for that. It's not like you become a Christian and you have to just sell everything and give it to the church. It's an audible sign. And um, it then says, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Like, can, you could... After you had the money, you didn't have to give it. You could choose what you do with it. But these guys had a choice on what the money was used for. So you see Ananias's sin here, it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything to do with the money or how much he gave or how much he kept. Ananias's sin was lying. He lied because he's seeking something other than Christ. He, he wanted people to think that he gave everything, that he was this super spiritual guy. He wanted to be somebody of note in the church and put on this pretense and air. No, seek, I don't know the details of what he was seeking, but seeking something else. He, he wanted the praise of the people for giving everything, but he wasn't prepared to give everything. And you hold that actually up between their lives, which pretty short after that, and Barnabas's life. And Barnabas did give everything. But he didn't actually, that's just a small thing he gave. He ended up giving his whole life to see people coming to faith. But Ananias had lies, here's the punny part, he had lies lying within him. Okay. They were lying to his heart. It's like, examine our hearts in the gospel. What's our motivations? So we're coming to now one of the, the, the last point, really. It's the seemingly ugly. So, uh, yeah, the seemingly ugly. What's the seemingly ugly? Well, they drop down dead. You know, God kills them. And so it's like, ah! Um, Acts 5, 5, 5 to 11 then. We'll read this. So this is the kind of end part of the scripture story that we've been reading. And so Peter says these words to him. And it says this, and as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter um, responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. It's like, snap, you know, imagine that. I mean, you know, imagine hearing that. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm gonna be going to that church, you know. <laughs> Someone invites you to church and you know, well, tell me what it was like. And she says, oh, you know, it was great last week. We did worship, we had a nice sermon. We did an offering and then two people died. And so it was, it's like, yeah. You know, Peter's pastoral appointment list was a little shorter the following week. But these verses, they're a hard thing to preach. And when I came to it this week, I was like, 
ugh, you know, because on the face of it, it, it seems so ugly, you know. How could this, how could this happen, you know? How could this loving God do this? How could Jesus, you know, Jesus who's paid for all sin, how, how, can, how can this kind of thing happen? Well, it's like, this is the church. It's not some Old Testament time where they've done messed up and then it's like, stone them! And then they're kind of judged like that. This is the church where people are coming in and they're seeing this and they thought, I thought we were just here for tea and biscuits. And it's just, it's kind of just crazy. And that's why I think so many people find it a challenging thing to, just a challenge. So let's look into it. This seemingly ugly, um, the seemingly ugly. Look at this. Ananias and Sapphira, they're the exact opposite of Barnabas. They're hypocrites. It's the first sign of hypocrisy in the church. And God hates it so much. See, hypocrisy is when what lies within and what lies without doesn't line up with each other. And I'm not talking about, you know, us um, going through something like that and we're really struggling and, you know, we're not just like, ah, like that in church. Although we, you should never need to wear a mask in church. You can be like that. I'm talking about, you know, you've got, your life inside is rotten, a complete mess, but you come to church and, you know, try to be just like, the big man, the big guy on show. That's why, like, if something happens for me, then it's not okay for me to, to pretend that everything's okay and carry on with, oh, yeah, no, well, this is just, you know, what I do on a Sunday, so I'm just going to do this. That's a very dangerous place to be, and God hates it. See, it's when we put on this kind of Christian show to seem more holy and godly, but the truth is completely opposite. But they don't drop dead because they're hypocrites. You know, there are other hypocrites in the Bible that don't just drop dead. But as hard as it can be and to, to understand is that they drop dead as this jaw-dropping kind of, ah, you know, like freak out and remember this for a 2,000 years sign that God hates hypocrisy in his church, that his church is beautiful and pure that God laid the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira in the path of every hypocrite who would ever seek to enter the church and be in the church and show in a really dramatic way his heart for the purity of church. Now, are these guys saved or not? Sometimes that's a question. That I wasn't, I just feel to share this. Like, I believe, yeah, these guys were saved. We see it through that actually there are certain points even in the church in the New Testament where you may remember there's this guy and he's in this deep sin and they're challenging him and he won't come out of it and Paul writes to them and he says, you know, cast him out of the church. Why? So that, you know, so that his body would be handed over to Satan for it to be destroyed, but that his soul may be saved. So I believe these guys were saved. But you see, God intends for us to fear hypocrisy and to pursue this purity in the church. God wants us to revere the Holy Spirit and never treat him with contempt. God, God wants us, and through this we really see it, you know, God wants us to remember 
that he is holy, that he is righteous. Imagine this situation. They've Christ walked with them and they've just seen Christ weeks before crucified on a cross and they've seen the power of God come in that place. How much contempt are they treating Christ with and his sacrifice with in that moment? Never treat Christ's sacrifice with contempt. This, look at this slide. Here. It says, we are called to lives of holiness. And Peter writes this. He writes, we are a holy nation. We are saved. So we aren't saved um, by our holiness. We aren't saved by our holiness. <clears throat> but we are saved to live holy lives. It's not like, okay, great, well, Jesus has done it all, so now I can just go, go out and just live crazily because Jesus has it covered. This incident, it doesn't take place a result, as a result of some Old Testament law infringement. This happens in the New Testament church. It happens in the same church that we are today. God is so concerned for the purity of his church. And in Revelation 2, 23b, it says, Jesus here is speaking to the church of um, Thyatira, and he says, the churches, the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. And then in verse 5 and 11 of, of the core passage we've been reading, it says that great fear came upon the church. Not a fear of like, oh, I step out of line and God's just going to like smite me. But this fear of, man, God is so holy. God is so awesome. This thing that we're part of is just so different. In fact, holiness means, holy means to be set apart, to be separate. That this thing that we've been called into is just so awesome. We can't even begin to get our heads around it. But the lesson Luke, the writer of Acts, is trying to get across is that faking our faith in the presence of a holy and awesome God is a fearful thing. And these passages, they're a stark warning to a kind of new breed of Pharisee, you could say that, like a New Testament kind of Pharisee, a Pharisee in the church who would try and just water down and make the church less than it is, less than it's been called to be. You know, in Matthew 23, Jesus, this is in Jesus's life where he's on earth, he's speaking to the Pharisees and um, the scribes and he calls them hypocrites. Remember, he's constantly giving them an earful. And he, he says about them or to them that they're seeking positions and honor, that they desire titles, that they pursue praise by other people that they said things that people should do, but they didn't do it themselves. And history has shown us that the most severe sign and warning almost you can imagine in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira dropping down dead, hasn't always been observed. And over the years in church history, we've seen probably some of the most ugly moments in church history. Some things which make people nowadays be like, mm, I'm not sure if I want anything to do with, with those guys has been because hypocrisy has took over. And some of you guys may have experienced this, where actually there are just guys in the church where lives don't line up. So our challenge says, do we seek and desire to live holy lives? Not for salvation, not for salvation, 
not to get to Jesus, not to be loved by Jesus more, but because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, I will live like this. Because of Jesus, my decisions are now like this. Because of Jesus, I'm now going to live like this. And so, guys, um, we're just going to be coming into end now. Is the, the root of this story is who is on the throne of your life? Has the gospel captivated your heart and transformed your life? Look at this. See, it's a bit of a it's a bit intense, but <clears throat> the story shows that idols lead to death. An idol is really just a good thing that we make an ultimate thing. So status, wealth, pride or self-image. If they aren't resolved in Christ, they can become an idol. And there are always good things that we can make ultimate things. And resolved in Christ means I find these things in Christ. So I find my identity in him rather than in who others say I am. So Satan, it says the passage says Satan filled Ananias' heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. But Ananias' heart was first filled with a lie that he believed, just like Adam, just like Eve, you know. Did God really say? And it's always a lie in contradiction to the truth of the Spirit. It's always a lie in contradiction to what the Spirit's saying. The Spirit's always speaking the truth of the gospel. He's testifying about Jesus. And Jesus said things like, you know, in him, you're a child of God. The lie says that you're nothing, that you need to be better than others, that you need to crush others down, that you need to lord it over others. Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. I'm the provider. The lie says, you know, maybe God won't come through this time. I know I don't have enough, but I'm going to worry. I'm going to give time to worry this week because I'm not sure God's going to come through. Will we really have enough if we, if we give as well? Jesus said, love others like you love yourself. And the lie maybe says something like, maybe it doesn't quite mean love others just like you like yourself. Maybe it just means be nice to others. But first, I need to look after number one. I need to make sure I'm in a position of strength and I've, I'm in a strong position. I've got a good amount of savings and I've got a good amount of stuff and then I'll be in a far better position to help others. So Jesus didn't just share his belongings, but he shared his entire life unto death so that we may have life. Jesus, the highest and the most almighty, came down, became slave of all, the lowest of the low. Why did he come down? so that we could be raised up to the highest of highs. See, the story we've read today shows a picture of what God loves so much. It shows his church functioning in the most beautiful and incredible way. You know, those few verses at the beginning we read about people giving and selling property, functioning in this so, such a beautiful way that even when we today as church read it, we're like, wow, that's amazing. We shouldn't be surprised because it should be that kind of life that we reflect. These guys, that they're completely united. Acts 4.32 says, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. This is exactly what Jesus prayed, isn't it? Just before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John 17, 21a, he prays, he says, it's written, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. How awesome. 
It's how wonderful, this picture of church. But this story also shows kind of the greatest danger to church. It shows what God hates. It gives a picture of a life so anti-church and yet has crept right into the centre of his church. And within it seems this really ugly incident. But that incident reminds us of the holiness of our God. It reminds us of the lives of holiness that we have been called to in him. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.16, he reminds us of this call and he references Leviticus. And it says this in three separate places in Leviticus. And it says, be holy for I am holy. And so guys, challenge today is let's examine ourselves. Let's meditate on these scriptures. Let's pray that we are so transformed that we begin more and more to display a similar picture of that kind of awesome church to the world. That people are like, wow, I want to know about that. What on earth is going on there? That's my heart. That's part of our vision actually to be family, two parts, harbour and family, family. And first part of the family aspect of our vision is that we'd understand that we're part of the family of God. This family that's just different, you know, that is holy, leads lives of holiness. So guys, that's, let's pray now. And um, I'm just going to, bow, bow your heads guys, I'm going to pray. Uh, I just, I felt God just saying today as well, like if you just want to, if you know today that Jesus isn't Lord of your life, that you'd say, you know, actually, maybe I've never really made a commitment to, to, to him, to invite him into my life. I want to pray that with you. You just pray under your breath and come speak to me at the end or come forward and we pray at the end. And then also, guys, I want to give you an opportunity just for, for everybody here just to make almost like a, a decision to say, God, I'm pursuing you in this path of holiness even more. So let's just pray. If this, is, if this is you and you've never invited him into your life, I'd just, just say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on a cross for me. I thank you that you died so that I could be reconnected with the God who made me. Lord, I forgive all those who sinned against me. And Lord, I ask for your forgiveness in my life. King Jesus, I pray that you would come in and be king of my life. And I start a journey, I decide to start a journey with you today. In your name. Amen. And guys, for, for us who, if this sermon's kind of struck home in some way and you're kind of excited about this living in holiness but not in a way of attaining to anything. We're, we, everything is in Christ, that you want to make a decision to change certain things in your life. Just pray this with me as well. Father God, Lord, we thank you, God, that you are a holy God, Lord, that you have called us to be a holy nation. Lord, you know the things that are going on in our hearts, the things that are going on in our lives. And we, God, just make a decision and a commitment today, Lord, just to lay down areas of our lives where you aren't king of our life and invite you into this area. 
Lord, that we make a decision today to pursue you more and more, pursue you and your holiness more and more. And Lord, I pray that as we leave today, God, we would just have such a big picture of you and your church, Lord, that there would be kind of that element of just that, that fear that those guys felt when they saw this, that fear, that, that, that reverence of you and how holy you are, Lord, and who it is you've called us to be here in this world, God. Lord, I pray that you set a, a light, a flame, in our hearts, God, that we desire and hunger for that as well, Lord, that the world would just look and just be amazed at your church. In your great and awesome name, Jesus. Amen.